0: Okay, super. We're good to go. So, Esri, uh, thanks very much for, for joining the, uh, the Strong Startup Podcast. Um, I'm, I'm super happy to have you here today. I think we have a lot of exciting things about uh, design and uh, some interesting, uh, exciting new workshops in urban mobility with uh, a new framework that you've developed to discuss. So I think, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've got a lot to cover in the next uh, hour or so. But thanks very much for, for being here and for taking the time okay um so maybe to to begin uh we could give a little intro to who you are and what you've done um because i was looking back over i mean obviously we worked together on one of these projects so i know a lot about you but uh, i had a little look on the internet of what the internet says about you and it seems like you've most certainly done a lot and you've had a very interesting background uh just before we got started i think there's a nice collection in your background even to show that you're a designer at heart. You have the the first Apple Macintosh, right, in the background there? Yes. And you also have some other things you've developed and designed as well. So maybe you can do a bit of show and tell uh, later on. But um, yeah, it would be super to give a little bit of background of who you are and how you got started in the the world of design.
1: So if I go back to the world of design, um, when I was in high school, I was exposed to design exhibitions in the Israeli Museum. I remember uh, things such as uh, B&O, you know, the Hi-Fi Bang & Olfson design group Oh wow. uh, in an good year. Uh, And And other things that made me want to be a designer, industrial designer, really search for, wow, there there is a job that you draw things and someone make them. Um,
0: So were you always quite creative as a child as well, right?
1: Yeah, I was doing uh, and still doing animation. I was uh, interested in photography a lot, building things, um, painting, everything, sculpturing. And then I went to study at Bezalel Academy, which is the oldest school for design and art in Israel. And just after graduation, I joined the Bezalel Research and Development uh, Group, who at the time were doing a very interesting project on protection for children from the age of four to eight and from the age of zero to four on the issue of uh, gas protection. As you know, Israel at the time was threatened by Saddam Hussein, that he will throw missiles with uh, uh, biochemical hazards in them. And part of this projects were actually designing and building and manufacturing almost a million pieces of them into the population of Israel. And the challenge was huge because at the time, there was no other country in the world who took this task. Um, Gas masks are known to be a military equipment, you know, from the First and Second World War. But never uh, someone took the 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 thing to protect children, and it's relatively very difficult task because of the anatomy and also psychology part part of it and then the parent uh, part in this. So I, I won't go into it. Would be
0: very happy to wear it either, right? Exactly, With this kind of device. Yeah. You
1: know? Um So this was my first project. Uh, And later on, I was um, involved in a lot of uh, projects in industrial design. Um, Israel at the time became known to be the startup nation. So there was a lot of projects in the field of uh, uh, high tech and medical equipment and medical Uh, kind of um, industrial design challenges. And during these years, I also, at a time, a point of time, joined an effort to build a branch of IDO uh, office in Israel. It was 98. Um, In IDO, we wouldn't call this process that was kind of a secret of IDO. A process, we didn't call it uh, design thinking at the time. It was more uh, innovation strategy of groups using uh, components. Now we know and call it uh, design thinking. So So later on...
0: Pre-design thinking phase, that's cool. (laughs) Yes.
1: It's something that evolved in actually at Stanford, moved into IDEO, Mm -hmm. developed there, uh, by a lot of people and then went to stanford back in 2005 where the d school was founded okay I have the idea question. office
0: sorry was the the, the, the methodology of or the process of design thinking originally from i think germany right or at least there was a specific school that had developed um a methodology. I, I heard of a history of design thinking recently at a hackathon called Dare to Start uh, just last weekend, and uh, they mentioned something about uh, some design school post-World War Two that kind of, uh, some of them went to America and began to try to kind of formalize how design is developed. Uh, is that correct? That's. Uh...
1: Uh, I'm not sure about what you're saying, because in Germany, there was... Uh, there was the Bauhaus, of course.
0: Yes, there was someone connected.
1: Bauhaus, yeah. And the Bauhaus, very interestingly enough, correlate with Betzalel, where I studied. And the reason is because the Bauhaus was a unique school, a revolutionary school uh, in the 20th century. It was founded after World War One, mm-hmm. but later closed by the Nazis in yeah. 33, uh, And then a lot of Teachers and students went to Israel at a time before the country was founded. Uh, to Betzalel, Betzalel was an academy uh, since 1906, and then they re-refounded uh, because it was closed for five years. Right. They founded again Betzalel. They call it the New Betzalel, using all methodologies of the Haba House this was oh, wow. 35.
0: So it's like a direct connection between the two. Yes. Right? Yeah, so wow. this was
1: the first school outside of Germany of the Bauhaus. Later on in 39, another group of teachers from the Bauhaus founded it in Chicago. Later on, brought the modern kind of okay. architecture and design to America.
0: This was the, 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 the road of the story that I heard actually yes. in Chicago. But also
1: Design thinking per se is not coming from the Bauhaus. It has in it a lot of design right. uh, practices such as uh, prototyping, ready-made, and stuff like this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, the word design thinking came from another place, actually Netherland, Netherlands, where a group of uh, design academics founded... Design Thinking Research Society, DTRS. Wow. Um, and some of them published books about design thinking. But it wasn't the design thinking that we mentioned in IDEO and Stanford, but it was a general attitude to see how designers are working in a different methods. They think in a different way. Mm. Engineers. Because those people came from engineering universities, such as Delft, for example, or one of them from the Technion. Interesting uh, that you mentioned Delft. One of the Delft. four, four yeah. founders came from Technion. So, so those those groups, uh, I'm not so far, so much familiar with this history, but uh, my colleague, Gaby Goldschmidt, Professor Gaby Goldschmidt is uh, one of the founders of this DTRS. So coming back to design thinking, when it came back to Stanford in 2005, they attached to it design thinking as an academic cover to it. Okay. Now back to myself. Um, um, just six years after I graduated the school in Bezalel. That's
0: uh-huh. your professor right now trying to correct the story.
1: <laughs> so... so uh, Six years after I graduated from the school, I became the head of the school of the Department of Industrial Design.
0: Wow. That was a pretty fast timeline.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, at the time, it was because uh, one of uh, the chair was resigning and I was the kind of a replacement for a year. And then I stayed for eight years. Wow
0: was um, this a research institution or like a design no. school? Design school. A design school.
1: Okay. The design school per um, se, and uh, later on, I founded the master in industrial design in this school. It was th- the school didn't have master courses, mm-hmm. and I founded the first one in industrial design. And yeah. later on, when I finished this, I went into the Technion um to re-establish the, the master and doctorate level uh, program at the technion during all this time i was also having my own design firm it's called tawazi studio where i um work and i had uh, a lot of projects with many industries from low tech to high tech so uh, still now i'm involved in the A lot of projects. I'm. I was also co-founding almost twenty startups, which I was involved.
0: Are you still involved right now with uh, certain startups in some way? Yes. Yeah. Yeah? Wow. So it's never it's never boring for you. Always exciting, I'm sure.
1: Always exciting. Always busy. Yeah. Um. So, I'm also a practitioner in design. along all these years. And coming to the Technion, which is more research um, university, I started also to ignite and start my own research, uh, which I will tell later on about it. So this is the background in like shortcut.
0: Okay, super interesting, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's funny when you talk about the, the history as well, I mean, it sounds like as if you, you started Six years after finishing your degree, is uh, in one of the, the kind of founding schools or founding institutes for design in the world, right next to Bauhaus and, and all these people. So, yeah, it sounds like you had a very strong foundation from the very beginning, for sure, right? Yes. Yeah. Super. and um, So what I would love to dive into, I have a lot of questions and a lot of stuff that I would love to discuss, but um, I would love to talk about a little bit about some of the project that you're involved with recently. So. Uh, one of the more recent ones that you showed to me, actually, that I think everybody would be very curious to hear about was the 3D printing uh, coral reef um, project that you're running at the moment, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe you could give us a little bit of background about that, because it seems like a very sustainable and like cost-efficient way to kind of rejuvenate um, the coral reef ecosystem under the water, right?
1: Yeah, Um. The coral reef ecosystem is one of the those areas where you see immediate effect on glo- uh, with global warming. Mm. The reason because corals are living creatures. So the same as you will have two degrees on top of your temperature. First of all, you feel ill. Second, they will arrest you in a quarantine. <laughs>
0: Yeah, 100%, <laughs> particularly
1: now. So the same with corals. Corals that uh, cannot handle uh, two degrees temperature more than what they can. So what they do, they they live together with algae. Each coral has a different algae. And once they have this temperature arising for uh, a long time, they will take reed of the algae, and they became white, really bleached, then the algae who help them to get nutrition and oxygen and everything, they will start to suffocate, and in three to four weeks they will die. From being bleached, four weeks they will die, they will become grey and they will fall apart. And actually 40% of the corals in the world are right, are right now destroyed. Yeah. And the prediction is that in 20 years or even less, 90% of the corals are going to die. With wow. them, 25% of um, the biodiversity of the oceans. And this is horrifying. And when you dive into places, you remember as amazing, colorful places with a lot of fish, lots of animals, and plethora, of course, and things like this. And seeing the gray and very minute uh, amount of fish is really depressing. And as a diver...
0: Neglected because of the fact that it's under the water. Right, only divers get a chance to see that—a small fraction of human. Yeah, I suppose.
1: So, as a diver, I I was concerned whether we can create something that will restore. The, can I close the door because? Yeah, please
0: go ahead. No, no problem. No problem. We can all take a look at Esri's design studio while he's away.
1: <laughs> so there is. There is a a question whether as a designer, I can help and support the effort to restore some of these uh, reefs. And the idea was to use 3D printing with natural material. And we use ceramic, terracotta ceramic, which is apathic to to the natural world under the water. And, help to restore some of the uh, housing for fish and animals, whilst being a a platform for those uh, planulas of corals to grow again. And the thing is that there is a, a symbiosis between all these creatures, of course. And so what we are now Doing is an experiment inside the water at the Red Sea, and we have an uh, installations of few of these corals um, that can be uh, be a test for those assumptions using 3D printing. The question is why 3D printing? Now the 3D printing brings us and give us uh, two things. One is complexity which cannot be achieved by a mold. You can create really complex shapes with 3D printing. The second thing is variety. In in a mold, you can print the same thing and in 3D printing, each each part can be different. So we use this uh, using very large printers. Uh, The size of the printer is almost four meters high and we, of course, burn it in the oven and then put it down in the water. And what we saw, we we started a year and a half ago with this experiment, specific experiment. Actually, we started with uh, bioplastic printing three of almost four years ago. But we found almost, you know, something is resisting to use bioplastic, although it's biological plastic. Yeah.
0: Um, Wasn't to the taste of the algae, <laughs> basically, right? Yeah,
1: actually, they like the smell of the corn that is made ah, of. Okay. Oh. And uh, like w- one month later, already algae uh, started to come to the place, and we saw a lot of fish. Wow. Two weeks ago, we dived into the site, and we saw a big moena which is like a huge snake, like two meters snake is inside one of the columns. Wow. It's opened the mouth like this. Wow. <laughs> so it was really thrilling to see. Like
0: anaconda underwater.
1: <laughs> yes. And uh, so this is an experiment which looks very promising because we can scale it up. Yeah, of course. It's a low-cost low printing. We succeeded to create a, a, a way of printing it in a very fast way. Instead of hours, it takes minutes to create big size coral. Like 20 minutes, we create a coral of the size of 50 centimeters. Wow. Um, and, and how many one, of them
0: have you installed so far? hundred. hundred, wow. And you're trying out like different shapes? I think I remember when we were discussing this last, because there are different preferences, right, to how many yes. like different shapes and... On holes or caves that you have, the depth of exactly. them and stuff like that for the algae and the fish, right? Yeah, that's really interesting. And and how exactly does it work? So does it help the coral itself to regrow or to stabilize? Because essentially, you're 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 helping the algae and the other parts of the ecosystem to have somewhere to go to be able to live, right? And to be able to produce like. A, food and nutrients and different things. And that has like, I suppose, a, an indirect effect then on the, on the actual coral and helps to kind of revive it in a way. Right.
1: Yeah. Corals. Let's say that there are some corals in the area, in the, in the, in the Gulf itself, there are corals in different depth and places. And then they actually, it happened one week in a year. They release eggs which called planulas. Mm-hmm. They float in the water. And by research we've done uh, two years ago, we checked for the best material for them to sit because they check oh, okay. where they want to sit. There are small parts and they check whether they can grow on something. And once they are, uh, they are on a terracotta, they like some of the materials in it and they stick to the terracotta because it also has a kind of porous texture to it um, which we didn't see in the bioplastic for example right. so we found a lot of planulas in the platform that we used terracotta so the planula will come and stick to it and grow and already one year after we see some soft corals on it
0: wow so you have personally. corals essentially growing on the 3d printed coral right yes wow that's super interesting
1: and then our our vision is that it the real corals will cover everything yep because corals are grow on dead corals on dead corals
0: right so it's basically like a, a 3d printed crutch like yeah. to be able to allow the corals to have somewhere to plant the eggs and be able to actually grow again. Wow. It's really interesting. That's super cool. Yeah. I, I, I would love to show some people uh, some of the photographs because uh, there were some photographs of you diving. I remember you showed me this, you know, the, 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 um, all of the sea creatures and the algae living on this coral is, is something very interesting to see because, you know, typically it's a uh, shipwrecks or something that you see plants growing on when you're looking at underwater pictures. But uh, this is a. Uh, Pretty pretty unique way to use three D printing to be able to, uh, to to save the day essentially. This is a massive issue off the coast of uh, Australia as well, right? I think they have a large portion of the seabed is with corals. Everywhere. There, right? you, yeah. Crazy. And is it an expectation? So you 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 drove that particular initiative right yourself. So this was a push from you because I, I guess you you dive uh, recreationally, right? It's like part of a sport that you do.
1: Uh, I'm a technical diver.
0: Ah, okay. What is that, that? A mean,
1: research diver. Sorry? Research diver. Ah,
0: research diver. Okay. So mm-hmm. you're curious by nature, both on land and sea. <laughs> yeah.
1: When you say to me you're a recreational diver, it's like an insult.
0: Oh, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> okay, so you're exp- you're an explorer, basically.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, it's also to do with the equipment. It's different than recreational.
0: Okay, but you you also design equipment, right, for for divers and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah, we got into some of this, um, but it's not my, our main focus right now.
0: Okay, and are you hoping to upscale the or scale up the uh, the program that you have with the three D printing? Yes, in the we are now in a,
1: in some grants offering to do something in the Maldives and Australia, wow. Hawaii, even. And also a, a collaboration with Jordan that might happen. Wow, that's
0: fantastic. I mean, that could have a huge impact, right, on the, the coral reef. So your hope would be to either stabilize completely or at least reduce going from 40% to 90% for the coral reef. Uh, we
1: don't know. Actually, it's really unknown because yeah. if everything will continue, there is no hope. But the idea is that once it will stop, the I mean, global warming will stop, Maybe coronavirus is helping this, of course. Uh, I think I've heard
0: some pretty drastic changes in LA and Beijing and places like that that yes. just kind of reverse some of the effects of the smog and whatnot from global warming. Right? Yeah, cool. That's great. Um, so speaking of, of COVID, that would be another uh, quick nice thing to discuss because uh, I think you're, you've been working on some other design topics uh, to, in kind of an emergency response within Israel for, uh, for COVID. So have you been working with, with masks, for example, the designing and building masks uh, or was it ventilators? I wouldn't
1: call it mask. It was more a, a hood protection oh, wow. hood that enabled the medical teams to work more safe okay. and more comfortable. And these are like the ones
0: that basically come up front of the face and come straight down like a piece of plastic that's bent slightly around? Yeah,
1: the main idea was that um, the visors that uh, the medical teams use, first of all, they don't really protect, because uh, when you are working, when the medical teams work near a patient that uh, spray an aerosol, mm-hmm. So aerosol can go beneath the visor or besides oh, yeah. from the visor and enter. So some of the medical teams used the uh, Googles like this, the protection Googles, uh-huh. and they really suffered from it. So the idea is, first of all, it's to have a better protection. We use it by throwing from a, a manifold that is sitting in the forehand. So we, we flow air, filtered air, uh, in a in a low pressure, toward uh, the face and downward and sideward, so you get a better protection. The second thing that we get through this filtered air um, flow is like a curtain of of air that is uh, cleaning the visor from fog and vapors. A lot of doctors were complaining about the fact that they need to do procedures that are really intimate to the patient and they hardly see anything because of the fog. So the second thing is uh, eliminating fog and clearing the visor. The third thing is better comfortability. Once you have an air flowing, it's easier to breathe, it's possible to replace the N95 mask with a regular mask because uh, we definitely know now that N95 is better mask than regular mask, but actually it's not very comfortable. Yeah. So once using the hood that we we developed, you can go back to the regular mask or even using it without a mask. Do you and then have of to course, have like a
0: filter or anything as part of your mask? Or is it just yeah, like the What we have is air? a blower.
1: We use a blower.
0: Okay.
1: A pipe, very light pipe, and a fil- biological filter, which is a HEPA filter. Okay. What we use for this is actually uh, blowers that uh, was developed for gas masks.
0: Oh, wow. for children. So it goes all the way back to your earlier experience.
1: <laughs> exactly. This was the idea. Full circle. And, and since Israel has like 800,000 of them, we could easily get as much as we want.
0: We can repurpose so, them basically, right?
1: Yeah. So we work closely with the Rambam Hospital in Haifa,
0: uh-huh.
1: Rothschild Hospital in uh, same city in Haifa, and, and also Carmel uh, Hospital and we provide them, them uh, some units. Fortunately enough, Israel was one of the first countries to close its gates. And because we are we having only one entrance to Israel, which is the Ben-Guyon uh, Airport, so this was eliminating a lot of uh, wave of, uh, uh, let's say, hard and very difficult... Uh, uh, times what see would see, we see in, in Italy or other countries yeah. didn't happen in Israel. So actually in those hospitals we worked with, there was a time where there were no corona uh, people who are uh, breathed or uh, uh, having the necessi- necessity to use these systems. So they use it only in the beginning of the, uh, the crisis, emergency crisis, and right now they don't use it. Okay. We converted them into dentists, and dentists are those who, who say, you know, dentists say, working in a corona wing is like working in a park compared to us, because we work eight hours a day, making our own aerosol. So we yeah, convert
0: directly them. in the mouth, like <laughs> yeah.
1: it's, uh... so, to protect themselves and the patients. Uh, we used it to dentists uh, at some some point.
0: That's really interesting because one of my one of my best friends actually, his wife is a dental hygienist in Ireland, and uh, she posted a picture recently, and it was uh, you know double mask, so a smaller mask here, and then something similar like the the visor that comes out in the front. So uh, maybe I can send a link to your uh, to her of your uh, your new hood yeah. to be able to <laughs> to. Another
1: project we did in the lab laboratory was uh, one was a, a a tray robot. Okay. To replace a personnel who goes into the corona wing and back, uh, it's a kind of a tray on wheels that goes into the wing and go back, controlled by uh, a wireless uh, uh, kind so of gaming. It's like a little uh,
0: remote control car, basically. Yeah, yeah. for like delivery of. Food or medical equipment or whatever, right? Exactly. Wow, it's cool. And
1: uh, we tested it in a hospital. The second uh, project that I can say it's about um, one of our students worked with another <clears throat> professor on covering, covering kind of a tent over, over the patient, corona patient,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then uh, sucking the air from the patient into a filter it has a UV and delivering it outside of the hospital through oh, this wow. filter.
0: That's right, because UV can help to kill the virus, basically, right? Yeah, so we had like
1: four of them installed in the one of the hospitals. Wow. Um, uh, we had a project of um, signage inside a hospital, how you sign the hospital for those Corona. A patient to come to the hospital first time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: tell them go there and there and then don't go into other places in the hospital. Yeah. So we used kind of lines, uh, uh, very vivid colors lines okay. on the floor. I um, think that's
0: needed in general, not just for corona times. At least I always true. get lost going into hospitals full stop anyway. But
1: yeah. We also suggested the RFID tags to uh-huh. some things. Of the hospital that don't go into other wings but right, they said it, it's logistically impossible to do no way in hell <laughs> so we had a lot of projects running at the same time and it was a uh, very interesting times where we had a, an evening meeting every day every day like two hours meeting every day
0: Wow! Just to come up with new potential devices, and like also, ideas.
1: yeah, and also manufacturing and doing these prototypes as fast as we can. We we yeah. created almost sixty, sixty devices for of protection.
0: Wow, uh, yeah. that's crazy! It's a crazy <laughs> number.
1: <laughs> yeah. No so we became, became a so small busy. factory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing in a way that Israel, of course, closed their borders so early, so which meant that you, know, you don't have an issue with uh, having the hospitals completely overwhelmed. But it's also a shame in a way that you have these different devices that are built that maybe can't get tested in, in the front line, right? So is there a, a chance or do you have an ambition to maybe you know, be able to test these devices in other sure. regions, like maybe Brazil, for example, which I know has been particularly hard hit
1: Actually, you're touching a pain point. We yeah. sent few few of those uh, to front line of uh, Holy Name Hospital in New Jersey. They really liked it. <laughs> and we're sending them. Actually, today we send them another hundred uh, hoods. Um, and so how many applied, hoods have
0: you created? And over a hundred already.
1: Yeah. Wow. And then we send uh, we sent for Brazilian uh, uh, kind of bid whether they want to try out uh those systems and we didn't, we got a reply that they don't need it
0: oh, okay it's a shame um, yeah so, I think the the response is somewhat uh, I mean, my sister actually was in Brazil. Uh, up until about two or three weeks ago, so um, yeah, I think mean, the situation is a bit slower to respond, you know. So yeah, yeah. in Brazil.
1: But of course, things that was uh, uh, have been being able to do in the emergency times. Now, for example, in Israel, if we want to introduce this to the to the hospitals, we need to get the. Uh, all the regulations and yeah, stuff like that. certification. So that, now they said, "Ah, if you want us to buy this,
0: we'll go through <laughs> thank regulation. you for providing it for free." But uh, <laughs> that's obviously the the tricky part, right? Because you want to create something quick and with value, but if it's going to be a medical product or used in a hospital, then there has to be certain regulations and guidelines and stuff, right? Exactly. Which is always. So like we are now medication. in the phase
1: of uh, commercializing the system.
0: Oh, wow okay the, the this ring. is for the for the hood right
1: yeah manifold and hood of course
0: okay yeah is it completely airtight then so does the hood go no, over the shoulder you don't or?
1: need airtight because it's a positive pressure right so, so once okay. the hood is touching bobby yep there, there is a flow of air outside of the hood so it doesn't even...
0: no it's really cool yeah that's great so you'll you'll try to prepare us because there's a lot of speak of the second wave as well of COVID and, yeah. and your paramedics now,
1: and now actually yeah. we try to combine this into another EIT uh, Uber mobility project oh, okay. together with a Lisbon uh, company and uh, university nice uh, yeah. they have a problem of how to protect uh, drivers in buses right it's, it's, it's,
0: it's and an the an problem is not window,
1: right? yeah, the, the problem is not the corona The problem is the equipment they have to wear all day long. Yeah. So if they can have a much comfortable system and not using, for example, N95 mask and a pressure-aired system, it will help them to drive more hours a day.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. That's a really interesting use case. Uh, I was wondering... In restaurants and shops, of course, here in Germany, it's quite restricted. They all have to wear masks, right? It's not as regulated as like N26 or, or sorry, N, what was it, N95? This is the, the name of the, the mask, right? The mask, yeah. Yeah. But I can imagine, like on a hot bus in a country like uh, like Portugal, it'd be quite uh, quite tricky to be able to be comfortable while wearing that. So that seems to be a pretty good opportunity, actually. This is the COVID response call for EIG, yes. right? Super. I think that's a, a perfect use of uh, that funding to be able to create something and bring it to the market, right?
1: We didn't win it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: well, fingers crossed, right? Positive thinking. Positive thinking. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I noticed uh, that. Now, EIT, it, EIT it, for me,
1: it was an, an excellent way to test uh, the fundamentals of 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 what I believe in as a, yeah. as, a, as a way of going on. So, for example, um we always teach to be close to, uh, to the user. Yes. So in this time, it was risking myself going into hospitals and to the corona wings.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: And at the beginning of the crisis, you know, I, I was scared. Uh, but I did it because I believe that if I don't do it, uh, I will not get into the insights of what we need to do.
0: Yeah, it is, well, Ooh. it's uh, it's great that you you did take that risk and that you didn't uh, get sick, of course, as well. So, but it's I can imagine it's a uh, it's a risk that you have to take as a as a designer or a creator, right? It's like like yeah. in, in life in general, right? If you don't take the risk, then you don't grow and learn. As a yeah, way, right.
1: Yeah. So it was like, for example, the in March it was twenty third of March that we already I already brought. A, a system to to the hospital and I asked one of the doctors to test it. And he came back a day after and said I used it for three hours and it was great. Wow. <laughs> but tack 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 he gave yeah. me a list yeah, of ideas. <laughs> but it's part but of the important thing experiment. that he said, you know, this is a prototype but I, I wear it for three hours.
0: That's a significant no, it says it all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything can be improved upon, right? Yeah. But and people who
1: into Corona Wings, uh, they cannot survive there more than one hour, one and a half hours. they yeah. go going back and forth, back and forth. And every entrance, you need to dress yourself. Every, uh, every time you need to go out, you need to unpack everything. It's very yeah. dangerous.
0: What so, do they actually do at the moment? Is there like a proper quarantine, like as if it was a biohazard, where uh, you're basically decontaminated in some way, or is it just a safe removal of the clothing and the equipment that? you It's with? safe
1: removal of the clothing.
0: Okay, okay, and everything then is, is, it's is washed. It's a process, and...
1: very long process, when they safely with.
0: Could imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would even slow down the response time. In, Emergency, right? If you have to enter quickly to save a patient or something. Exactly. Okay, very challenging, but I mean, it's great that you're working in that field as well to be able to provide some some support with some of these tools that you're developing. So I wish you the best of luck with the, the proposal. I hope that uh, it gets funded. I mean, I think it's a great chance to be able to test it in a different market as well with a company. So that's uh, it's really fantastic. Yeah, super. So I think we we slowly but surely are getting towards. Uh, touching on your, your methodology and, and what actually the process is that you use for for developing these type of projects. So you alluded to it a little bit earlier um, that uh, you're now focused with Technion um, on more kind of a research focus. And I suppose you're trying to maybe develop some new methodologies and new frameworks that will be able to help people to uh, to design things, and maybe even particularly for people that are not familiar with design, that will be able to use it. But um, well, first of all, my question would be: How, how long are you with uh, Technion? So, is it only within four years? Year? So you're with there four years. Okay, okay. And uh, I believe you already have one book, which unfortunately I really wanted to read it, but it's in it's in Hebrew, right? This is the yes. the D7 book, right? Which was I think the beginning of yes. the creation of your new methodology, right? Yeah. Um, So maybe you could, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about, um, yeah, I suppose, Y357. This is the the name of the new methodology or the new, I suppose, framework. What what would you call it yourself? Is it a methodology or is it a framework or a system?
1: We call it the code.
0: A code. The integrated code, right? Tick, tick, tick,
1: tick. (laughs) I keep open the the safe.
0: Excellent. And this is the the safe of design and... uh, and creating meaningful products, right?
1: Aladdin Cave of Design. <laughs>
0: nice, nice. That's really cool. No, I think it's a very, uh, it's a very intriguing name. And having having a little bit of insight when you presented, uh, you know, back in back in January or February, you presented the basic idea of Y three five seven. And I understand now what exactly it means in the name. But maybe you could give a little bit of background to like how you started with this. So I think you started with, with uh, D7, which is this uh, framework there, or the code, the beginning of the code. And then you added kind of Y3 and Y5. So maybe you could give us a little bit of an introduction into what that is. Uh, I suppose most people don't, don't know it yet. I suppose we have, a, we have a world exclusive on our hands here. Um, But yeah, it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about how you started with that at Technion with D7 and how it evolved into what it is now, which is the Y357 code.
1: Okay. So so first of all, um, it is based on natural code where numbers can help to uh, open this kind of... uh, the, of secrets yeah mm-hmm. and this was developed together with a group called Penza it's not myself alone okay. uh, which are uh, it says a kind of perception lab and one of the things we wanted to uh, to search is every time you ask people uh, they look for the best practices in every area
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Design thinking became best practices and everyone wanted to study that and to apply it and stuff like this. But for me, working in IDEO 30 years ago, it's very old methodology and it lacks a lot of things. So through the years, I added and added things to it because I didn't felt comfortable with it. Uh-huh. I found it lacking a lot of um, components. So... Um, I ended up with seven because of uh, seven is typically terms into the seven days of creation and creation in Hebrew is Yetzirah. This is the why.
0: Ah, I actually and didn't know that. That's good. Yeah. I was
1: wondering. why. And one of the why? things that uh, is globally known that we use a week and the week is the seven. It's coming from these seven days of creation. Mm-hmm. So it's natural to us to think of seven phases to create things. Each one is different, yeah. Each its phase is different, different nature. For example, uh, from the beginning to the end. But seven is a very natural thing, of a cycle of a process. This is one thing. The five is about the human. If you remember the Leonardo da Vinci person, how? Yeah. What is the name? I forgot.
0: I forgot remember the name thing? as well. Completely. But yeah, it's the sketch of the, the man as a right? yeah.
1: yeah. So a human is five. Is is the the star of five? So it's natural to think about the assembly of the human. As five, so the, we created. Uh, we ad- adopted the. The five intelligences, model which is something that helps to combine a lot of things, it comes into what we call now soft skills or so soft attributes of the human. Mm-hmm. But then we can use this because when we work on the process of the seven stages, we always relate to the human yeah. uh, through these verticals. or oh, We call it intelligences. So mm-hmm. we know emotional intelligence, but we, we don't relate too much into the ethical intelligence, mm-hmm. what a person will not do. But developing systems and products, we need to think about what we will not do, for example. Uh, how we will help to protect something as privacy or whatever, or security or safety. So, okay, something is very attractive emotionally but it's not safe mm-hmm. okay uh, so we have these five uh, lenses intel- of intelligences and this is to do with the human the the code of assembly of the human and how to relate to the user and also how to relate to yourself how to relate to the team mm-hmm. um, a person as a leader a person as a team worker it's all to do with this uh, code of five. So when you can go, kind of
0: equip the different lenses depending on the situation or the stage yeah. that you're trying to develop so for so yourself. In the
1: phase, or... Yeah, in the phase of, uh, uh, for example, study and research, which is the, we call it the seed phase, mm-hmm. you look at people and search for the five angles of what they do. The emotional part of it, uh, the, the cognitive part of it, the implementive or practical part of it, the emotional part of it, and the creative part of it. Did I said the ethical and the ethical part of it, the social ethical part of it. So you use this tool every time you approach society, a persona, a team, whatever. Then the three as the code, uh, the most important part on the top pyramid of the code is why you do what you do. A lot of times you find companies or startups are working and working, and then they, they disconnected from the first reason why they wanted to do it.
0: They focus on the what, right? The thing they're building, and then something
1: came to them and said, "Ah, do this and this. It doesn't work. Work this, do this. A new technology, and they they lose the connection with what they want to achieve, what they Mm. want to do, what what the purpose. So the three is the triangle that they. It's a process that have a lot of, of course, methods inside it of realigning yourself, realigning oneself through going back into the clearing going back into the question why do i want to do what i want to do what what is the purpose of what we do and it, this can come up every moment in the project mm-hmm. and this is the the, the triangle of the three
0: this would be i suppose helping to ground you no matter what phase of the project you're in uh whether no, you're... i wouldn't
1: say ground but more aligned align you, know, okay. align you. Um, because in the beginning you don't need to be ground you need to think far yeah, away you're free. but you need, you need to the idea is that you align yourself to the purpose uh, not losing sight with the meaning of what you need and if the meaning need to be updated you know for example not because you were going out of the of the track but maybe the circumstances change yeah there COVID are a lot of a perfect businesses today need to do this process yeah because everything changed you know
0: yeah so yeah. it is kind of like the the challenge or the problem uh, when we talk about it in terms of like design thinking and terminology I know it's more in-depth than that but it's a it's a, a more not just your it's not just the purpose of the project, but it's also your personal passion, your personal drive about why you want to tackle
1: this. Exactly. Because if you, we see a lot of startups that dismelt and we found that in many cases, it wasn't a technological challenge. It wasn't a marketing challenge. It was the fact that one of the founders or even two of the founders they uh, had different idea of what it is all about. Yeah. And instead of making the effort to reconnect to it, they started to fight and then
0: pow, yeah. dispersed. I think it's actually one of the hardest parts, which is to find first of all, find your own purpose in life or whether it's for designing something or exactly. company, but then to also match that with someone else's why or someone else's purpose is even harder right because i find like i'm doing a little bit of effort at the moment to 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 write out my own purpose in life and stuff like that and sometimes it's uh, it's very difficult to communicate that to others right uh, so you can maybe come to the point where you understand the direction that you want to go but i think it's also it's difficult to communicate that to your team members and then also to find alignment uh, which is what you describe, right? That the team will understand the what and the how. They understand you know, what they're going to build. It's going to be this type of medical product for COVID-19, for children or whatever. But the, the drive, maybe, for example, using the example you gave, they, one wants money, one wants success, one wants a, a quick exit to be bought by another company, and then maybe another person is just emotionally driven to solve this problem, which is very different purposes, right?
1: Yes. And it doesn't contradict, actually.
0: Hmm.
1: Because once you put it like this, it contradicts. But doing the process of Y3, uh, for example, it's 3 first of all, it's because, uh, you know, one example for the three in this is conscious, semi-conscious, and unconscious, for example. So you ask yourself, okay, <laughs> in my conscious, what I think is my purpose. Okay? And then maybe I can look for in my unconscious what it really drives me. <laughs> you know? You don't need to go to a Freudian uh, psychoanalyst. I don't need to
0: book a psychologist. Okay, that's good.
1: <laughs> Although some people I recommend, of
0: course. <laughs> of course.
1: But it's 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 true... Uh, that you don't, one doesn't know exactly what drives them. Uh-huh. Uh, it's something that happened in childhood. Sometimes you know, yeah. I was caught by, tak tak tak. I was, you know, something that my parents said, or something that. So and when you when you go through deep process in yourself about it, then you can really find it, you know. Um and even if you say I want to make money, why do you want to make money? What do you want what you will do with the money? You know, a lot of people that I found made money and still felt empty. Yeah. Because it wasn't the real drive. They wanted recognition, they they wanted what? What they wanted.
0: Uh, I, mean, no. I suppose money is a, or success is kind of an easy, tangible thing that people can say, right? Yeah, but it's harder it count to reflect it. on why.
1: But most of the people who made money feel empty in the end because yeah. there will be always someone richer than you.
0: Yeah,
1: you know. <laughs> so if you, if it's about competition and comparing yourself, person, that's only measured them their success with money. There will always be people that are more successful than them. Yeah. But if it is something deeper that you really want to do something meaningful and you see in what you see, something that you really change something in the world, you know? Yeah. Once you do something, it's in the world and whether it, it does good or not. Uh, what is the taste of something that uh, you know, uh, take money from poor people and you and make you rich. What is the taste of it? It's bitter, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So I think this is something which is mystical a bit. Uh, it's involved in its psychology, philosophy, a lot of things that uh, can go into it, but it's not academic. It's practical. Okay. It's about your project. It's about what you do now. It's not something philosophical. It's about why do you wake up in the morning to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, your motivation, for example, it's important to discuss here.
0: So if we're talking about someone who would be going through this this code, do you typically teach it and start with a Y3? So start with the purpose and been able to establish their motivation of like why they're in your class or why they're at this workshop, for example.
1: Uh, Okay. The three and the five are inside each one of the phases of the seven. Okay. So uh, the seven phases are termed by agriculture metaphor. So we start with plowing and ending with harvest. Hmm. So in the plowing, the Y3 will be this what you're saying. What do we want to do? Why do we want to do? Okay, let's throw ideas, let's throw the territories, and let's see whether we hook to what. Yeah. Uh, but it in in each phase, once we finish the phase, we need to go back into these questions. But they are changing their face. Yeah. Whether let's go back to the clearing. Do we really answer the challenge that we put in ourselves in okay. the beginning? So
0: it's kind of like a cyclical process where you can yeah. check back in using the 2 exactly. 5
1: Whether we need to change the challenge. Maybe yeah. what we find is the real pain point is something different. We right. need to take the whole project upside down. Because yeah. what we aimed is wrong. Yeah. And it's happening all the time. You know but I
0: think it's still super important that you pick an aim, right because if you don't pick one, then exactly. it's difficult to judge whether you have to exactly. realign or whatever. you have to start
1: and you have to go and you have to prototype and you have to test it. We have to be in the field to see. Mm-hmm. And for example, right now, as, as I said about the corona protection devices, the problem is not the corona in some cases, the, the problem is the protection devices that make life emb- uh, unbearable. Yeah,
0: some cases. I, can, I can tell you as someone who wears glasses, just wearing a normal mask is quite difficult in the supermarket. I always have an issue with my glasses getting oh. clogged up.
1: So if I give you this visor with the manifold and you have a quiet air blowing and you need to do a difficult task, not going to the supermarket. you need to yeah. work on something, yeah, and you have to wear this, you know because you work uh, the person is doing this is working near people, so it might be that the problem is not the corona, the problem is the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the protection
0: that's a pretty good example actually, because you would have started with the purpose of trying to you know improve the safety uh of say medical personnel or something like yeah that, right?
1: and it's still valid
0: yeah it's just you add on a nearly a more important problem which is basically the uh the comfort so because they can't do their job if they're not comfortable right yeah yeah exactly okay that's cool it's really interesting and then i guess through those seven phases uh this, the the y7 you you kind of take them from the point of ideation. All the way through to building a prototype and then being able to test their product with their customers. So
1: yeah, so we don't start with ideation. Ah, okay. We start with plowing the ground, and then we it more strategic uh, focused work, and then we go into seeds, which are looking for the DNA of the question problem, so and then we start to uh, sprout sprouting is ideation okay so we don't start with ideas we start with first of all thinking so, yeah uh, i think thinking.
0: that's good i think it's very healthy because i think sometimes picking the challenge can, or picking the problem and understanding the problem as you, you just discussed a second ago can be sometimes the hardest thing because sometimes yeah. people just want to go right yeah yeah so cool. you always start with an idea and then they realize later exactly well, what is the idea doing. <laughs>
1: Yeah. There's the phrase, when you have a hammer, everything looks to you as a, as a name. You know? <laughs>
0: smash, smash, smash.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, and then we go through the processes. Some of them are design thinking.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then later on, we move because it's integrated process. What well, we found that a lot of teams now quarrel between themselves, whether one want to work with agile, one want to work with lean, and one with design thinking. In our process of seven stages, we, like, align them into the process. So we start Mm -hmm. with plowing. Then we move into design thinking, which is empathy, ta-ta-ta-ta. Then in the middle, we move into a lean startup. And then in the end, we move into agile. So we have, like, a comprehensive process that takes the best of all practices and adds more things into it, such as the five Mm -hmm. and the three. Wow,
0: that sounds really great. I mean, to have those three different aspects linked in kind of a structured way, I think is quite good. Because I think often startups kind of like switch between different methods. I mean, they say they're doing lean or whatever, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, to have it in a nice structure, I think is a, is a huge benefit, right? And um, maybe you could talk a little bit about like how this method has been tested so far, because you've done some work with, I think some high schools and also with a master's program. I think in Israel, right? To be able, to... because I mean the program has only been around for about a year, I guess, right? This particular, sorry, integrated code.
1: Yeah. So we started with uh, Y7 and 7D phases, uh, the seven phases of uh, from plow to harvest. I started in 2007, actually. I was oh, wow. working. It was older in, than I thought. <laughs> one of the biggest companies in the world for uh, consumer products uh, based in Israel. Okay. And we, I ran a, a innovation uh, lab for them with 40 designers and engineers. Uh-huh. So I created this for this scenario and I worked both in the academia in Bezalel and in, in this, which uh, was called division. Uh, this lab in division for um, more than eight years.
0: Was this where the D came from for a D7 or? Yes. Yeah. Cause this was the first D7. version of, of Y7 basically, right? Yes. D7. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay.
1: And, <clears throat> and later on we used it uh, in a lot of projects. For example, we were igniting an innovation project uh, together with Penza group I mentioned before. Yeah for for Colombia oh,
0: wow.
1: uh, from 2010 2015 uh, uh, we ran a national innovation uh, process with a lot of activities uh, uh, in like uh, almost five cities Bogota Medellin uh, Cali and other other cities um, so we ran a lot of programs there with this process.
0: Wow. So it's been refined over.
1: With yeah. the with seven and the five. Okay. And uh, a year ago, we decided to make it as an integrated code called Y357. And yes, we, we also. We, this we started in high schools in Israel. This is okay. uh, true. So we have like 10 high schools that works with this system. And I also run uh, courses in Technion with this code.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean I think it's uh it's quite interesting because it's it's it stays through to design, the the, the integrated code, right? It just develops and evolves over time. It's like lean startup or, or agile. It's it's just it's a cyclical process that probably will never well, we hope will never end, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think that's actually one unique part of it, right? In comparison to design thinking, which has, you know, as you said, uh, been around for about 30 years and has kind of remained uh, somewhat. Pardon? Freezed. Yeah, it's remained frozen in time in in a way. And I think uh, it's interesting that you've been working on this, you know, for over 10 years and it's been evolved and new features have been added and components, but it's also great that it's been structured now into kind of a, almost a program, right? That people can follow, uh, which I think is great. Yeah, so, so the feedback has been good so far then from the high schools and from uh, the university students that will be using this as part of like a, I think an entrepreneurship module. Fantastic,
1: right? yeah. uh, i give an example. In my course at the Technion, it started exactly when the corona came. To Israel. So everything was uh, online. And 60 students, I asked them to uh, realize and actually validate an idea to do with peers' students. So they need to come up with an idea for problems that students have in the quarantine at home. And they need to realize the idea at least in one uh, circumstance. Okay. So for example, uh, one group was uh, realizing that it's better to do a heads-on cooking thing where the motto is using whatever you have in your refrigerator. Yeah? So how to train you to create something from what you have in whatever is available. Yeah,
0: because you can't awesome, right
1: awesome. now say, okay, I will teach you now to do tiramisu. Go and buy this, and then. Yeah. no one you will go and buy this, problem, and this. Right? You never so have
0: all those ingredients.
1: They had the idea that instead of, you know, because you have in YouTube everything, yeah, they had the idea to say, let's do a workshop with some experts, that they will have some groups of students, and they will say what they have in their refrigerator and kitchen. And okay, what do you have? Listen, okay, why won't you do this? You'll do this, you'll do this. Pressure's on. And then, in like one hour of practice. Uh, yeah. It's
0: it, so not teaching them a recipe, it's teaching them skills that they can apply to any exactly. situation, right? When they have different. So, ingredients. they
1: analyzed the situations through the five uh, intelligences thing, and it was brilliant. Wow. Because it, it had in it, of course, uh, all the ingredients of. Cognitive, it's the knowledge. Do you not have the knowledge? What do you have in your kitchen? So maybe you will do a page where you write everything that you have in your cupboards. Yeah, like a list. And make a list. And then, of course, it has emotional to it. It has the depression. You know, a lot of students said that they are depressed doing so many cooking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Three times a day. So uh, the same we had Groups doing uh, activities like sport at home. What is the unique feature for students in quarantine? The same thing about, uh, uh, you know, finding books to read. Mm -hmm. So where they can leave their books and find new books in the campus. (laughs) That's cool. They invented a box that they can leave books and people can come and take books.
0: Oh, nice. So it's kinda of like a sharing, co-sharing. Sharing books
1: series. and so it was a fantastic project. That's great. And I think it's see always how would they work with the Y three five seven? Yeah. It was marvelous.
0: That's super. That's great. So I mean I think uh we, we have an opportunity as well for, for people in, in Europe, I suppose. Well actually, yeah, I, I guess it's open worldwide for anyone that's in the the mobility space to be able to get a chance to to also learn from from you and to learn to apply uh the y357 uh methodology of the 357 code so maybe we can quickly discuss the project that we're working on together so this is the uh the umi project that's part of the european institute for innovation uh, and technology uh with urban mobility so it's e-i-t urban mobility quite a long name and but um yeah, our project is called Umi. Maybe first of all, you can just say one or two words about Umi and why it's such a cool name. Because uh, that was a quite an interesting ideation session when we came up with a, a new name to brand everything.
1: Yeah. So after like one hour of throwing a lot of <laughs> brands that we don't we didn't like, yeah. Um, uh, I said Umi is my mother in Arabic. Uh, My origin is from Syria. Mm -hmm. My family is a Syrian Jew, Jewish family from Aleppo, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. What about Umi? And let's see what Umi is because we have the urban mobility and then I was easy to find, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So urban mobility integration, right? yeah the full the full initials initials of, of umi so i think it's quite a quite an appropriate name for for this uh this project so it's pretty cool so um yeah maybe you could you could speak a little bit about uh well i, I can give a very brief background so th- this project we work obviously with esri and technion and we i i work for unternehmatum which is the entrepreneurship center in munich attached to the technical university in munich Uh, We work with the city of Munich, we work with the city of Lublin in Poland, and then we also have Zone Cluster, uh, which is an organization of uh, mobility partners in in Hungary. And together, we're we're trying to to open up to the world this new methodology or this new code for Y357 um, with this project that's funded by EIT or Mobility. Um, And basically, we have a workshop that we're going to do, uh, I suppose, led by you, Esri, uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks, so at the uh, the beginning of July. Um, And you'll basically be taking people from all over the world, so it's pretty much open, I guess, to anyone who's interested in the space of mobility, right? But it can be broader than just mobility, because I think COVID-19 and how people will use transportation systems again after COVID 19 is also part of these mobility problems right yes yeah so this will be open to pretty much everyone uh, who is interested in anything to do with urban mobility and you'll be learning to apply uh, this methodology this framework for y357 so um as we maybe you could tell a little bit about Uh, how exactly the the, the workshop will will happen, so what people will have a chance to be able to experience with you. Um, And uh, yeah, that'll be super. Give us a little bit of of insights about what people will learn.
1: In general, we will... uh, uh, You know, it's like cooking. You cannot uh, learn cooking by just seeing Mm. or hearing lecture. a lecture. Very good example. So I, I believe that uh, methodologies like this, you have to go through uh, a project, which is a challenge that is unknown to everyone, including us. And um, the challenges right now are, are huge. You know, we are, we are in a new world in a lot of terms and everybody wants to go back to the world that was, but some of the things will go back, but some not. Especially inside the cities and inside the public spaces. I think the whole perception of public will be different. And we will look for challenges, very practical, very small in size, about these challenges in the public areas Um, and mobility is a general term to how people go from one place to another. It can be a child that needs to go to school. It can be um, the way that people gather um, in a bus station and how you realize uh, for example how to buy a ticket. Now People are afraid to to use machines that uh, other people touch to whether we can invent new things. So just a few examples that how the new perception about safety in the urban public spaces will change things or call for innovation. And so the process will start with targeting challenges and choosing one of them and very quickly goes through the process of the seven phases using the tools of the five and the three. Um, and we do it in like um, four days, where each day will have one or two phases each. Uh, we will learn about, uh, very quickly about uh, some of the general philosophy of the phase itself and why it is there. And then of course, go through the methods inside this phase and actually immediately after that, do it. Uh, Which in is a the book. most important thing, right? Yeah. And then we're getting reflection uh, once in a while through very short presentations, like five to seven minutes presentation, get your reflections from the mentors and continue till the, the final day Uh, which will have a kind of a final presentation session with guests and peer review kind of session of of reflection
0: kind of a showcase I suppose of the the work completed the tangible things that were developed in those uh, two weeks right yeah no that's great yeah so I mean essentially it's going to be a uh, I'm personally very super excited to be able to see the the, the full methodology in detail. And, um, you know, it'll be uh, semi part-time over two weeks, right? So, so I think we have a schedule for four sessions in July and there'll be space in between each of these sessions um, to be able to, you know, carry on with your normal work or your studies. Um, so we don't want to block four full days in a row. And um, I think, from your experience, Esri, it's always better to have the learning kind of spread out over a longer period of time, right? So I think we have a session uh, on Tuesday, the 7th of July, then there's a that's a full day, so basically from nine to about six o'clock, and then um, the following two days are free, um, so you can work on some tasks in between with your teams, uh, not too much work, but maybe gathering some insights and working on uh, you know, developing your idea. And then the next session happens on the Friday, uh, which is the 10th of July. Uh, again, from about 9 to 6. And then the following Tuesday uh, will be the third session uh, with a break again until the, the final pitch presentation that we'll have on the Friday, which is, uh, I think, Friday, July the, the 14th. Um, oh, sorry, sorry, it's Friday, July 17th. So it's the 7th, 10th, 14th and 17th of july four sessions in total and i think afterwards as well we'll have a kind of a follow-up session as well like a group coaching session uh with Ezri and with all of the coaches that are going to help you because you have a you have an army behind you a technion esri right an army of hey, design coaches
1: all units small, unit.
0: I small unit okay small unit elite <laughs> unit yeah so we have an elite unit of uh, y357 coaches uh at your disposable at your disposal during the actual um program and then on top of that once the program finishes with the final pitch presentation where you'll all get a chance to showcase uh, the work that you created as part of a team that will be formed during those sessions and uh, about one week later we'll have a webinar with esri just kind of helping you along with the next phase uh, the next steps for your project because of course you know uh, like everything that as we has discussed it, these things evolve over time so we don't want this to be a, a once-off uh, workshop where you just sit back and learn and listen th- listen to some cool new uh, code but instead to have something that you can take with you uh, whether that's in your studies uh, in the area of mobility uh, or whether it's uh, you know in your work as a professional working with a municipality or uh, working as an urban planner or someone developing technology for urban mobility as a startup and um, yeah, we want to help them with the, the next phase of the program. Um, and we'll also have a MOOC. And I guess we should mention that as well, uh, Esri, sometime. I think in September, we'll have the the launch of a MOOC, which will not cover as much detail, I guess, as, as the workshops. I mean, the workshops are quite valuable because of the hands-on approach and um, the access to coaches. But the MOOC will help us to, uh, I suppose, structure the... Um, the y7 part and be able to get more people uh exposed to this uh, code right yeah fantastic great so i'll make sure to share the link for everyone um so i'll obviously i'll link everything that you've mentioned uh, esri so you mentioned your so design tech which is the name of the department right uh, in technion where you work and yes. um, but also your studio um, your design studio that you run and uh, I'll put up some links to the pictures as well of the coral reef because I think there's some really interesting uh, photographs of the work that you did there which is pretty cool uh, and of course for the for the program we have a website um, so if you search uh, UMI Technion you'll be able to find it but I'll make sure to include it in the description for the podcast um, and I think we're going to do the registrations and everything uh, through Eventbrite. So I'm going to set up a, a separate uh, page there where you'll be able to register. And um, we'll also have an, an information webinar that I wanted to mention. So this is going to be on the I think it's the twenty ninth of June. Uh, we'll have like an information day where you'll get a chance to ask all your many questions to Esri about the Y three five seven. So. Uh, you can watch the podcast or you can come to the information webinar, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Esri, look, thank you very much for, for your time. Um, that was really, really enjoyable to, to hear all of your stories. Uh, I'm always very, uh, very interested in, in hearing your cool insights and the different projects that you're working on. So uh, I really appreciate everything that you're doing um, because I think that just having ideas is not sufficient. You need to be able to create something with them, right? And you do yes. definitely uh, a lot of that. So thank you for taking the time out of your your busy schedule. And uh, do you have any last minute, uh, last uh, comments or or tips for anybody that's uh, interested in the world of design?
1: I think that uh, in general, we are going more and more into the unknown because it never happened before. And I find that uh, the codes that we develop right now, one of the best uh, equipped uh, things that you will want to have with you uh, going into the unknown, because this was actually built for doing this. Yeah. So,
0: um, okay. So this is uh, essential skills for people moving exactly. forward. And I mean, I think the another important point is that it's not just for mobility, right? I mean, this is completely transferable to any problem, exactly. any situation, personal or professional or business or whatever, right? It's, uh,
1: yeah.
0: it's really something that can help to shape your life as well in a way. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Look, thank you very much. Um, and there any, any particular ways in which people can get in touch with you or any, any place you'd like to direct people. I mean, I will, so I will put the, the UMI website in the description and stuff, but, um, are there any, uh, should people approach you on LinkedIn or send, send them to Design Tech? I think Design Tech have a nice YouTube channel, right?
1: Yes. Design yeah. Tech is a, is a good reference. And also UMI website is a good reference.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Then I'll put those okay. links there and people will know where to find you. and all the
1: Thank you very much.
0: Okay. Super. Esri, thank you very, very much. Really appreciate it. Have a wonderful evening and uh, we'll speak again soon. Okay? Bye-bye. Super. Thanks.